Welcome to the Lord's Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, a very warm welcome to the Lord's Podcast. Lots to discuss today and I'm very pleased to be joined by former England fast bowler Simon Jones. Welcome, Simon. Hello. And along with Simon, Wisdom Editor and Daily Mail cricket writer Lawrence Booth. Lawrence, how are you doing? Hello, fine, thank you. Great stuff. Well, coming up, we discuss whether Wisdom is favouring batsmen as the latest edition of the Almanac is out, how England have transformed into a bold attacking cricket team, pick your questions from Twitter for Simon, and my guests will test their history skills in the latest podcast quiz. But first, we start with the sad news that James Taylor has been forced to retire from cricket due to a heart problem. The 26-year-old Nottinghamshire and England batsman made the announcement on Tuesday. He'd missed Nottinghamshire's university match with Cambridge last week due to a virus, but after undergoing some scans, it was revealed he has a serious heart condition. The announcement was met with an outpouring of support. Um, Lawrence, you described him as one of the most decent England cricketers you could wish to meet. What were your thoughts on hearing the news? Um, yeah, I think like everyone else, I was sad really, completely shocking. None of us had any idea that this was um, was going to happen. I'm sure James didn't either until the news came through. So it just seems very shocking when a guy in the, the prime of his career is, is cut down like that. He was, as you say, he was only 26 and... His best years were definitely ahead of him and he'd already done enough, I think, for England to suggest that he probably would have been in the test middle order this, this summer and um, who knows beyond that. Clearly, obviously, your health is the most important thing, but Simon, he'd just played that series in South Africa. He'd played all four tests. Um, it looked like he'd been given a sort of a second chance and then to, to be cut short like that must be extremely painful for a professional cricketer. Yeah, for me, you just look at how hard he worked to get back into that side. Yeah... Um... He obviously went under some scrutiny about if he was good enough to play. He went back to, to Notts, um, scored a load of runs uh, and came back a better cricketer. I, I loved watching the guy play, I really did. Um, he was always, he was the buzz buzz part of that side. Um, some of the catches he took in South Africa were immense. They really were mm-hmm. at short leg. Um, but when he batted, you just watched him and he had this intensity about him, this never say die kind of attitude. Uh, and that's the biggest thing for me is, and the saddest part for me is that he's not going to play international cricket again. Yeah, um, it seems that he has a similar condition to Fabrice Mwamba, yeah. who actually tweeted uh, Taylor yesterday saying, you know, having life is a great option, retirement is inevitable, but for some of us, it's just earlier than expected. Enjoy life. I, I guess that puts in perspective from Mwamba, who, who's, you know, obviously everyone knows about what happened with him at Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I've seen loads of footballers, rugby boys, um, Obviously, cricketers get in touch with with James just to wish him all the best. You know, it's shocking news for him to to deal with, um, but hopefully, all the positivity that's coming across on social media will help him to kind of deal with the the situation um, and realise his life after cricket. You know, he's he's going to stay in the game. Hopefully, he's got a lot to offer. He's got a great attitude, uh, which can rub off on others. So hopefully, he stays in the game and. And yeah, he was lucky uh, that they caught it early. He thought he just had a virus, but luckily they diagnosed him early and he can deal with it. And since then, Taylor has tweeted, absolutely overwhelmed with all the support I've received. You don't understand how much it means to me and how much it helps. Thank you. So James Taylor is, of course, overwhelmed by that support. Right now, turning to England this summer... We're now just a month away from the first test of the summer between England and Sri Lanka at Headingley. It's followed a successful winter in which England have won a test series away in South Africa and came within an over of winning the World T20 in India. Uh, A real transformation for the national side. 
And it's the main theme of your editorial in this year's Wisdom, which is out today, Lawrence. Um, you wrote that England's transformation in 2015 was the most uplifting story in international cricket all year, uh, the more so for it being utterly unexpected. Um, yeah, I'm probably biased, but um, <laughs> I, I did feel, I mean, having reported on that, that World Cup last year where it was it was pretty grim, wasn't it? England were playing a, an old-fashioned brand of one-day cricket and they'd They'd been building up to it for a few months, and people have been screaming. And then you've got to you've got to attack the in white ball cricket, and they went in with a sort of semi-test team, really. Um, I think since then they what they did very well, what Andrew Strauss did very well, I think, was was uh, keep Owen Morgan in the job because Morgan got a bit of a hospital pass for that World Cup. It wasn't his team; they they weren't playing in the way that he wanted them to. Uh, they were then able to implement this sort of new aggressive philosophy, and in the very first One Day International that summer, they scored four hundred against New Zealand at Edgbaston and from that moment on they were they were just a brilliant side to watch. I think the coaches deserve a lot of credit. Paul Farbrace first of all as the interim coach after Peter Moores was sacked uh, and then uh, Trevor Bayliss coming in and, and singing from exactly the same hymn sheet as Farbrace. They'd worked together with Sri Lanka of course so they they both knew how they wanted to operate. They both have a very relaxed approach to the game. Some of the players at first were a bit shocked almost that Bayliss said very little but he's one of those guys mm -hmm. it seems that when he does speak you, you listen. Uh, and so they just absorbed that that relaxed approach and I think the fear of failure went out of them over the course of the year. And people like Stokes, I mean, so I, I led in my editor's notes this year with the transformation in Stokes. You think a year back he wasn't even in the World Cup squad. He was batting at eight or nine the previous summer in the test team. No one quite knew what his role was. Fabre said, you're batting at six in the test team. And from that moment onwards almost, he was given that sense of responsibility and, and he flourished and he, he was almost the... The sort of the symbol of the, the re regeneration of that team. And Simon, watching that side in last summer, uh, what, what's impressed you most about the way England have gone about their business? Freedom. I think they play with they play with um, a no fear, as Lawrence just said. It's it's one of those things that you need to play with if you're going to do well at the top level. Uh, I think the two coaches that have come in um, have done an exceptional job. They've sat back, let the boys get on with it. Um, let them facilitate. Uh, that's their job at the end of the day. When you get to international cricket, um, you just let the guys go on with it. Um, you let them practice, let them prepare how they need to prepare, uh, make them feel comfortable, let them be in an environment where they're happy with it. And and then you, you, we've seen the results. They've gone out there and they've played the game in the right spirit. Um, they went hard at, at New Zealand. New Zealand, incredible side, led by Brendan McCullum. Uh, it was a great series. Shame it wasn't a little bit longer. But um, the, the standard of cricket that was played throughout that series is a credit to those two those coaches in, in the England setup because those lads were playing with um, gusto and it, it was a joy to watch. And this year we've got Sri Lanka and Pakistan um, in England this summer. How do you think they'll fare against those two sides? And in particular, Pakistan. Pakistan can be dangerous because of the bowling unit they have. Uh, we're in our conditions, so we, we should uh, do well, we should succeed. We should always be favourites. But, you know, that, that Pakistani attack is something to behold. I've, I've watched them in the World Cup. they got pace. they got real pace. And let's be honest, a couple of them have played over here as overseas players, so they know how to bowl in our conditions. They enjoy bowling with the Duke's ball. Um, I know everyone enjoys bowling with the Duke's ball. So it's, I think it's the best ball in the world. They should just get rid of the cuckoo <laughs> orange, go on the Dukes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting series against Pakistan. I think Sri Lanka have lost a lot of their senior boys. They really have. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're there for the taking. They're in a, a rebuilding kind of process. Um, 
I like the guy Angela Matthews and, and people like that. But um, our lads are in good neck. They're in a good place. Uh, I think we'll be too strong. And there's quite a big story with Pakistan here this summer. It's going to be the return of Mohammed Amir. He's going to be bowling at Lords because of the way the fixture schedules worked out. The first test, England v Pakistan, will be here. So back to the scene of the crime. But I guess as a journalist, uh, it's going to be all eyes in that media centre are going to be watching his, you know, his first few deliveries and see how he takes it. See how the Lords crowd reacts to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid that's just the, that's the way of life in a way. He, you know, he. He did something very silly back in 2010, and he he's, he served his time. He was out for the game for, out of the game for nearly five years, but he's an exciting guy. I mean, even even in that test before he deliberately overstepped, he he he'd reduced England to something like 120 for seven, and he bowled absolutely beautifully. He was swinging it around corners, and they, they didn't know how to handle him. So uh, he's still young as well. You know, that, that's that's the other thing. He's he's fit and young. He he bowled a great spell against India in the World 2020 when he took a couple of wickets in the first over. And, He's going to be absolute dynamite to watch. I'm, I'm not saying that people won't be watching his front foot and trying to make stories out of that. That again is, is you know, is the nature of the beast. But it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And you, you've touched on it already, Simon. But the the Pakistani bowling attack um, throughout the generations, you know, going back to sort of Wakar and Wazim, they've always seemed to have a something special about mm. um, quick bowlers from Pakistan. Uh, what is that? I don't know. They just breathe them, don't they? They really do. Um, <laughs> And they've got a few left armers now, which is key. Um, the key for their spinners, they're going to be bowling into the rough. Um, but the skills they have as well, and, and the pace, you know, there's three or four of them are bowling 90 plus. There's not many of them around. Seriously, in, in normally in, in an attack, you've probably got two, and in rest bowl 80 to 85. They've got four of them. So, and then they've got the, the height of, of um, the left arm. Yeah, yeah Mohammed Irfan, he's, that's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> no, he's, he's a foot taller than me, he's just daft, isn't it? Um, so the options they have on the, on the bowling front uh, are top draw. They're batting as well. You know, it's a little bit hit and miss at times, uh, as they always have been. But on their day, they can score runs, uh, and, and they're going to need to be on top form if they're going to compete. I think. Well, I'm sure plenty of people are looking forward to that. Turning our attention to the five Wisdom Cricketers of the Year now. Uh, they've been announced: Johnny Bairstow, Brendan McCullum, Steve Smith, Ben Stokes, and Kane Williamson. Uh, Lawrence. Firstly, how do you decide who's awarded the accolade and what's the criteria? Uh, the criteria is it's basically the influence on the previous English summer. And we, I get accused a lot on Twitter, as I have been today, of being kind of Anglo-centric and why can't I take the whole year into account, etc., etc. But those are the rules they've been going since 1889. And you can't have been chosen before. Yeah. So that's, that's, the, those are the, uh, that's, the, that's the other key one. Um, how do I decide? Well, first of all, I look at the start of the year, I, I look at it and think, which big names haven't been chosen yet, I'll keep an eye on them. If anyone emerges through the pack, great. And come September, you've, you've probably got an idea. If someone scores a great 100 in the sort of 50 over final, then you never know, that might, might twist your arm. But yeah. generally speaking, you know where you're going with it. And then you, you've decided by October. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great part of the job. And Simon, you're a Wisdom Cricketer of the Year in 2006. And in a moment's time, we're going to talk about Another award that you've won, but we'll stick with the Cricketers of the Year at the moment. Uh, Lawrence has picked five batsmen. Last year he picked four batsmen and a bowler. Is it too batsman friendly these days? I think Lawrence is a batter himself, is he? <laughs> uh, I'd love to. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm not going to say it's disappointing not to see a bowler in there because you look at the names that are on that list. They've all had exceptional years. Yeah, um, you can't ignore them. Uh, just outstanding cricketers in themselves. Kim Williamson has been unbelievable. So was Steve Smith, Ben Stokes. You know, he's shown what he can do. So it's part partly a bowler in there. 
Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's an all round. Um, Keane Williamson pulls a bit of off spin. Well, that's so, right. yeah. <laughs> Three wickets at Headingley. Brendan, Mc- <laughs> Brendan McCullum can do anything. Well, he can keep wickets. But, you know, it's great to see Johnny Bairstow in there. Yeah. I think he's such an exciting young talent. Um, he plays, that's a bit cliche, but he plays the heart in his sleeve. He really yeah. tries. That innings he played at Cape Town was exceptional, him and Stokesy. I, I really enjoyed watching that. Uh, the two redheads out there um, <laughs> going toe to toe with the South Africans. He was fantastic. So to see Johnny Bairstow in there, we know he works incredibly hard at his game. Um, you know he's, he's very very proud as, as the rest of them to, to play for England so yeah to see him there is fantastic but the rest of them I think have you know, deserved their place but we won't let Lawrence get off too lightly you know Mark Footer 82 wickets this is in 2014 at 19 yeah. Jack Brooks won the title with Yorkshire 65 wickets at 22 yeah. Brendan McCullum top scored with 50, one score of 50 and they drew the series here so I mean no, I, I see where you're coming from. You're not, you're not the only one. I mean, the, the, the criteria is sort of influence. Yeah. Uh, not just achievements, not just runs and wickets, but influence on the English summer. And the way I thought about it with McCullum was that he'd kind of, he'd brought this very attacking New Zealand team over and it had rubbed off on, on England. You know, yeah. set attacking fields. Remember the, the, the partnership here between Root and Stokes on the first day of the Lord's Testing were 30 for four. McCullum had about five slips, two gullies, and there were lots of gaps and they, they, they sped away, scored at, at five and over. So... It was also the, the the smile that the Kiwis played with. You of know, course, it, it, yeah. It sounds a bit patronising, doesn't it, when you say it like that? But actually, I think it really informed their cricket. They played this sort of aggressive, lively, joyful cricket, and yeah. I think England took some of that on board as well. So I think his his impact on the summer was huge. Um, I would point out though that Moeen Ali last year was chosen mainly for his off spin, uh, twenty three wickets against India at nineteen. So I think we can say that there were two out of five. Well, I'm saying that Jeetan Patel is your only out-and-out bowler you, in that you one. Can say that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've, you've defended your point. That, that's fair enough. Um, Simon, um, congratulations. Your book has won the Wisdom Book of the Year this year, The Test. Um, so, I mean, firstly, how proud are you and how did the idea come about to write it? Oh, immensely proud. It's, it's something I wanted to do for a long time. I didn't want to do it back in 2005 because all the lads were doing it. Um, and I didn't feel I had much of a story to tell, really. You know, I was 26 at the time, I think. Uh, I felt I still had a lot of cricket ahead of me. And I'd rather do a book when I finished. I'm not worrying about upsetting people. Yeah. Um, and I feel as if I can just chat about my career in a different way. You know, I was, um, yeah, 2005, I was young and yeah, just enjoying my cricket, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to to get this award is I'm immensely proud to work with Charlie Campbell and Julia Kingsford at Kingsford Campbell, and then obviously John Hotton as a ghostwriter. Uh, it came about because I did an interview with All Up Cricket and um, okay. with Henry and Henry he, Cowan. Yeah, he yeah. said to me, "What what would you do a book?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to." So then he went back and spoke to to Matt there, his boss, and he spoke to Charlie, and then it kind of snowballed from there. So yeah, I have to ch- thank Henry for that. But um, yeah. Enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed working with, with John Hotton, a great guy. Felt easy at the time. I used to meet him once a week. Did that for like four or five months. And did, did a chapter a week. And it was fantastic. It was almost like a therapy session, really. <laughs> um, it's quite an open book. You, you sort of talk about your personal life in it yeah. in quite, quite a lot of detail. How did you find sort of putting that down on paper and realizing that people are going to read that? And Didn't bother me one bit. I think if you're going to do a book, do it, try and do it properly. And don't have it one-sided, and speak about you know the good times, but also the bad. And I had plenty of them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good in a sense for me to get that off my chest because if any young cricketer reads it, 
then you realize is how hard it can be yeah you can go from the penthouse to the to the outhouse in in no time uh, and yeah it was a tough it was a tough pill to swallow but it's life yeah there's nothing you can do about it just get on with it and it, it centers around the 2005 Ashes yeah. series, which has, has become such a big thing in English cricket now. And as a lot of people look back to that as sort of, it's now almost a sort of the golden era. Um, what was that series? I mean, you, you must have been asked this a million times. What was that series like to play in? And now sort of 10, 11 years on, um, how do you look back at it? Well, no, let's be honest. It, it defines my career. Yeah. Whenever someone mentions my name, it's from 2005. I played a lot of cricket either side of, of 2005, but that is the series that defines me uh, as a bowler, reverse swing and normal swing, wherever you want to use the term. Um, but it was a fantastic series to be part of. That that side that we had was was the best I've ever played in, in terms of um, quality, but also friendships, um, unity, and an understanding of each other. The balance was immense. We had every space was was covered. Um, there wasn't any weaknesses for my liking. You know, Ashley Giles was immense during that series. He really was. He didn't get the plaudits he should have. The wickets he picked up, he held up an end. He gave us a chance to rest. He scored some runs. Um, he took some immense catches. Uh, mm. You know, that side was, was special. It really was. And to have Duncan Fletcher in charge, Michael Vaughan as captain, it, it was just perfect. I'm going to bring in a question from Twitter now. Uh, thanks to everyone that tweeted in with these under the hashtag AskJones. Uh, this is from Siddharth. He says, was the 2005 Ashes team a great one or lucky? And would the same team have won it in Australia? I love that, lucky. How can it be lucky? <laughs> um, no, we, yeah, we were a great side. We really were. We beat everyone else. The Aussies were the only ones left to, to beat uh, and I firmly believe if I hadn't gone in with cramp at uh, Old Trafford, we'd beaten them 3-1. I was in the middle of a spell. I was feeling good. And, yeah, that the series would have been over. It really would. It's just that there's nothing I could do about it. Drinking a few too many of those uh, energy drinks. Yeah. Took myself down. Um, <laughs> never forgiven myself, really. But, yeah, to say, no, nah, we weren't lucky at all. Going down under with the same team, I think if we were in the same kind of neck, in the same kind of positive mind frame, I think we could have beaten them down under. Definitely. They were um, they were an aging side, but they were a very, very experienced side. They knew what they were doing. They were still in the peak of their powers. But I think if we'd had that same side out there, I think we could have beaten them. And Lawrence, I'd, li I'd like to bring you in now because you talk about in your wisdom editorial sort of uh, the success of the T20 um, in India, the World T20, but also the lack of terrestrial television and county cricket needing to be shown in some form of uh, terrestrial TV. Do you think this... T20 that's just happened now is almost another 2005 Ashes chance to capture the the public's imagination and or, or could we miss that because of the terrestrial TV? Yeah, possibly. I think that the problem is that kids can't just turn on the TV in the summer holiday. The parents don't have satellite subscription, that is, and, and, and come across, you know, seeing Simon Bowl in 2005 or, well, in fact, that was, that was on... Uh, that was on terrestrial, wasn't it? But sort of, you know, incidents since then, and um, yeah. and fall in love with the game that way. I think that's a that's a way a lot of boys and girls of my age, of my generation, fell for cricket. So without without that, it's going to be difficult. I mean, I think I think T Twenty cricket in this country does need to be franchise based. It's worked in every other country. There's no no reason it, it wouldn't work here. It would bring lots of money into the game. It would support the four day game and the fifty over game, which are still eighteen counties. So you still have lots of yeah. county cricket for for more traditional fans if you like um, and it would show that English cricket is sort of prepared to keep up with 
what's going on in the rest of the world. I mean, why, why should we handicap ourselves with, mm. with having a, a, a tournament that's sort of split across the summer and not being able to attract the best players? And um, it, it seems madness to me, but, um, but there we go. Do you think this, this, this current side, and I'll throw this to you, Simon, is similar to the 2005 in terms of sort of the characters? Uh, and obviously you're not in the current dressing room, but th there was a period where England's cricket was sort of labelled maybe boring, and that might be in sort of the flower Strauss era. Mm. But this current side with sort of Ben Stokes, uh, those type of characters, are you going back to the kind of the Flintoff, the Hoggard, the Jones type players? I think, I think there's a few more characters in this side now. I think the balance of the side is very similar in a sense that they can throw the ball to anyone when they're bowling and they'll do a job, they'll do a very good job. Same with the batting, they, they've got guys who are scoring runs regularly. You know, Joe Root has been exceptional. Uh, I, I love that guy as a cricketer. And I love the bond that these boys are developing. Um, they're together a lot. Uh, a lot of them are playing all formats. And it's great to see, they, they, they're playing with the freedom and, and, a, and a very balanced kind of attitude. So yeah, they, they're similar in a sense, but I think some of the characters that are coming through, they're very strong characters. Um, you know, we saw Ben Stokes up in the World Cup. All right, he bowled that last over, and it was it was a nightmare for him. But he'll come back. You know, he he plays hard cricket. He plays the brand of cricket that we need to be playing. He gets in people's faces. We sh we need to show the opposition that we we don't fear them, and that's what we did. Uh, and these boys are seriously developing that that kind of attitude because they're young. They're coming through. They're playing all formats of the game. They know their games are, are made for any given situation. And that's dangerous for for the opposition because our lads can adapt uh, and win a game from anywhere. It's fascinating stuff, and it's going to be interesting to see how this team grows. Uh, Simon, I've got a few more questions for you from Twitter, and we'll just go through these. Um, Ashley Briggs asks, and you mentioned it just a moment ago. Um, knowing what you do now, and maybe this is sort of part of your book, and Ashley, I'd advise you to buy the book if you haven't. Um, if you could impart one piece sort of advice upon your younger self uh, what would it be and why um, <laughs> keep it clean <laughs> uh, do you know what I look back and I don't think I change anything I just I enjoyed playing the game um, I enjoyed off the field with the, the lads I played with and I think that's the way the game should be played as long as you're not doing it the night before a game or during a game I think then you have to take a little bit of a long hard look at yourself but you have to enjoy the success and you have to kind of deal with the failure as well. So if I'm going to look back and give myself advice is, yeah, I'd have done exactly what I did before. Now, maybe I wouldn't have slid in the outfield <laughs> uh, at Brisbane, but yeah, that's just one of those things that happened. Lovely. Um, this is from San Idia. Um, which batsman did you find the most difficult to bowl at? Oof, uh, there's been a few. Um, the Aussies were tough. Uh, Matthew Hayden, Ricky Ponting, Langer. And Gilchrist was a was a nightmare. He really was because he could just take the game away from him in the space of ten overs. But for me, I think from my experience with England is Brian Lara when he got four hundred, the longest two and a half days of my life. <laughs> I think it was just the fact that you're waking up seeing the same bloke every day. It was horrific. <laughs> it was horrific. Just seeing him coming out onto the park, thinking I got to bowl against him again. You know, we had a great attack. We really did. It was just the flattest wicket I've ever seen in my life. Didn't really bounce above shoelace height, and Lara, you know, he took us took us on. He um, he had a, a point to prove. Harmy had beaten him up throughout the series. He really had, you know, it was the best series Harmy's ever had, I think. So he, he came there thinking, right, I've got to get some runs, and he did. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Um, John Bergdahl says, topical one that's coming up, if you could compete in Rio 2016 in any sport, what would it be? Oh, it's got to be Andromeda's, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> oh, got to be. If I could be you some bolt for, for nine point whatever seconds there is, that, that would be me done for life. I'd love that. Just the experience of running that fast. Um, just the, the fans' reactions and, and leaving the opposition behind. Um, yeah, I'd have to be Usain Bolt if I could be. My <laughs> knees wouldn't let me, though. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in your youth you're a bit of a long jumper. Is that true? I did 100 metres and long jump, yeah. I was all right. Did yeah. all right, yeah. What level did you sort of go to with that? Got to well, schoolboy level. Um, I was decent, yeah. I was quite small at school, but then obviously I grew when I went to Millfield. Um, so I'd been better off doing it later on in my, ta- in, in my life rather than when I was short and just quick. Something in the water in Millfield. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Great. Right, we're going to finish off with the, um, the Lord's podcast quiz. It's a history quiz this week. Um, I'll just explain it. I'll make sure you get the right version, otherwise you'll see the answers. Um, but basically, I'm going to give you three dates and there's going to be three answers. To, I haven't explained this very well. I'm going to give you a date and I'm going to give you three possible things that may have happened on that date. And you just have to tell me which one it was. It's that simple. I'm just going to get exposed. <laughs> um, Simon, uh, you can go first. You can pick the same one if you want, but um, it's absolutely fine. Right, so in 1977, what happened? Was it A, the first women's match at Lords was played between England and Australia? It was an ODI. Was it B, Mike Brearley was one of the five wisdom cricketers of the year? Or was it C, former England fast bowler and your teammate Steve Harmison was born? So what happened in 1977? Right, Harmy's the same age as me, and I was born 78. Would he, no, he wouldn't be older than me. I think it was a women's first match. I know it was Mike Brearley. Um, Lawrence has given me nothing. <laughs> I don't think Lawrence is offering much for that. <laughs> I was 78, so he can't be. Harmy's got to be. I know the answer, right? I'm going to just wing it, right? And I'm just going to go Mike Brearley, B. And Lawrence? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's the women's game, because I think that was a few years earlier. Uh, Simon's helpfully told me how old Harmy is, but then I'm not sure that was conclusive. <laughs> <laughs> and if I don't get Brearley, frankly, I should resign as Wisdom Editor because I should oh, know all the cricketers a year. But I, I, think it, I think I probably will go with Brearley as well. B. So you're both going with B, and the answer is B, yes. Mike Brearley was one of the five Wisdom Cricketers a year. So that's one all, nice solid start. Um, Harmison was born in 78. Lawrence, in 1937, we're going back a bit now, what happened... On the Saturday of the Lord's Test, the boundary rope was brought in to accommodate the extra fans at the ground and in doing so reduced the playing area. Or B, Middlesex's Patsy Hendren scored a century in the first innings and a duck in the second during the county championship match against Surrey. Or was it C, the famous yellow cover first appeared on this edition of the Wisden Almanac? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> again, it's another sackable offence. Isn't it? If I get this one wrong, um, no, yellow. No, I'm not going for another wisdom answer here. Uh, I'd love to say I remembered Patsy Hendren's century. I don't, which probably means it happens. I'll go B. And Simon? I'm going first yellow cover. First yellow. If you just sorry, I'm going first yellow cover. Right. Um, 
The answer was indeed B. So, Lawrence, you take a, a one-point lead. He was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> if it was that yellow cover... I would have quit now. Yeah. <laughs> it was in 1938 for um, Wisden Almanac Buffs. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? Just a year later. Um, right, so this is it, Simon. It's all or nothing here. In 2002, what happened? Was it A... The first cricketer to appear on the front cover of a Wisden Almanac was Michael Vaughan. Was it B, the Brian Johnston Film Theatre is opened in the MCC Museum? Or was it C, MCC becomes the first club in Britain to develop drop-in pitches? What happened in 2002? Hmm. I don't know. It's there. No, no clue. <laughs> I'm, I'm going A. Going for A. Yeah. The first cricketer to appear on the front cover of Wisden Almanac was Michael Vaughan. Yeah. Well, without wishing to gloat, I know that was 2003. Uh, so, I, so I've got a free guess here. I've got a free swing at this, I think. Um, and I'll swing at Brian Johnston. The Brian Johnston Film Theatre is opened by the MCC. You're both incorrect, yes. but Lawrence, you do hang on for a 2-1 victory. MCC became the first club in Britain to develop drop-in pitches, 2002. Impressive. Developed them and they've never been used. So, <laughs> <laughs> what was the point? <laughs> Just to check. Um, right, so well done, Lawrence. A 2 1 win. Um, and uh, that very much brings us towards the end of the podcast. Uh, Lawrence, obviously, you've got a big dinner tonight, Wisdom, all that going on. Uh, what's coming up over the next sort of month for you now? Now that Wisdom's put to the bed, what do you do? I've still got a bit of PR to do for Wisdom. There'll be some interviews, radio interviews to do next few days. I'll try and uh, lie low for a bit, might go off to India with my wife who's Indian, see her family for a bit and then come back for the first test up at uh, Leeds against Sri Lanka. And Simon, yourself, what have you got coming up over the next few weeks? I've got uh, bits and bobs on. Um, I've got, still got two, two events for my testimonial to, to organise, which is, yes, hard work. And then I'm starting my PCA and postdoctoral work, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, long summer ahead, um, but I love working for them. Great stuff and hope to see you back at Lord's soon. Uh, many thanks for coming on today, chaps. Many thanks for those of you who've tuned in. We'll be back next month with more cricketing, cricketing stories from Lords. So remember to follow us on Twitter, our handles at Homer Cricket, be our friend on Facebook, and for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon. <laughs>